The teaching this morning is called Tom's Prayer Practice. So it's going to be very personal from me to you. My hope is that it will help you in the same way that being in this community has helped me connect with Jesus in an ongoing way while navigating a pretty complicated and fraught world. So Jesus, one of the primary ways that he is identified in the stories that we have about him is as rabbi, which literally translated means teacher. The way that Jesus teaches is in part through communicating information, telling his listeners truths, ideas about God, about how to navigate life. Um, He communicates through stories, He communicates through presenting information in sort of speaking settings. But then there are also moments where those who are trying to learn from him, his students, his disciples, detect something in how he's living life that they want to understand. One of these moments is when they watch Jesus pray. And and after he's finished, they say, would you teach us how to do that? how to do what you just did. It's kind of a puzzling question because praying and different prayer practices would have been a part of the fabric of life for them, something that they did when they went to their version of church, to synagogue, something they would have been taught to do on their own. But they must observe something that happens for Jesus that is different than what they're used to. It seems to me that they must observe Jesus coming out from his prayer practice, being different, in a different state of mind, a different attitude towards the world, perhaps a kind of hopefulness or, you know, being enlivened that is better (laughs) than what he was like when he went in. Maybe he's less mad at them, you know, (laughs) more able to navigate their confusion and difficulties. Who knows? But they respond by saying to him, would you teach us to do what you just did? And so what I'm sharing with you this morning for me is my experience of having had that happen here in my practice of faith. So I grew up in uh, Christian practices where my experience of prayer, I would call it Uh, was largely externalized, and if not externalized, to me seemed, I don't know what, tepid, ineffectual. So for the most part, the prayer practices that I would have learned in my youth were, (laughs) you know, God, please fix the world so that my life goes better, right? Would you please modify the ills of the world, the things that are making my life difficult so that I don't have to suffer as much. There was very little of what I would have, looking back on it, what I would have thought of as sort of connection. God, would you help me perceive you, know you, know that you know me? Um, God, would you come into my internal world? I grew up in both an ethnicity, the Dutch, and uh, a practice of Christianity, oriented towards something more conservative, which just generally was kind of afraid of the internal world, right? Looking within was just going to produce trouble. You didn't know what was going on there, and if you did, you would try to ignore it or deny it or deflect attention away from it. Maybe partly why I became a psychiatrist, like, oh, the inner world, who knew, you know? (laughs) Um, But my prayer practice avoided that. 
We instead put weight, and this is, you know, in the grand tradition, one grand stream of Christianity, we put weight on the text. I inhabited a tradition where um, the name for it for 500 plus years is Sola Scriptura. We acknowledged Father, Son, Holy Spirit, but really everything rested on the perfection, the awesomeness, the wondrousness of the Bible, the text. It was all we needed to build our faith on. It was the sole pillar. So, surprisingly, I actually navigated through a reasonable portion of life pursuing this way of faith, sola scriptura, you know, God fixed the world and please don't pay attention to what's inside me. I made it for quite a while, right? But then things began to happen. (laughs) I, following on the heels of many others, realized, came to realize that the text wasn't perfect in the way that I needed it to be perfect to pull off this way of doing faith. It wasn't all the words that we've ascribed to it over time, inerrant, internally consistent, completely divinely inspired. It was never meant to support the weight of belief and faith in the way that I had wanted it to, I and many others. It also came to be the case that that life is just hard. It's filled with fraughtness. It's filled with systems-level fraughtness. It's filled with just fracture and brokenness. And then I, from time to time, am just a bad person, right? I do things that are harmful to me, harmful to those I love, and I keep doing them. And just going to the text or trying not to do them or saying, God, would you fix the world out there so that it's not such a problem that I'm bad? You know, those things don't work. And so it came to be the case that this way of structuring my life of faith was less and less effectual. Just came to work less and less well for producing goodness within me, for helping me to be a contributory person to the world in a good way in the settings in which I was expected to contribute. And so what I'm going to share with you today has come to me through my life in this faith community. It turns out that that there are plenty of people here who are following on the heels of many, many others for whom their practice of faith was not dependent on just the text or on their intellect. And so I was around people who were putting into practice ways of encountering God that were unfamiliar to me. Truthfully, that made me a little uneasy, but I would see the effectiveness for them of contemplative prayer practices, of of routines, ways of imagining God, ways of pursuing connection to God, that were working better than what I was doing. And so over time, I began to pay attention and do my version of how did you do that and participate in the offerings of this kind of teaching and instruction. And so I want to present to you this morning, and this comes, um, my wife and I were on vacation. And uh, so this, what I'm going to talk about this morning has, has come into being and continues to 
be shaped, I don't know, over a period of probably 10 years. So, so it both follows a rhythm that is in the church tradition, but it's also quite idiosyncratic, right? It's very particular to me. So my hope as I present it to you is not that this will be something that you would take verbatim, but that it might produce some inspiration, some ideas, some helpfulness. And a part of why this has become meaningful to me too is just life under COVID, right? It just makes everything stressful, makes everything harder, um, heightens up the fraughtness of life. Like everything that, you know, was at a scale of three out of 10 on the anxiety rating just sort of automatically goes up to five. And then the possibility of contributing in a world, of doing that part of what makes life worth living, right? Making the world a better place in all the settings where you can do that or are expected to do that, it's harder. You and I are just so much more frustrated in that. And so this prayer practice to me has been helpful in this time in particular to keep me going. Um, so again, I share it with you as a, as a product of what has happened to me here um, in the hopes that it'll be helpful to you in a similar way. So I'm gonna go through it um, and we'll take little breaks along the way to invite, I'll take little breaks along the way to invite you into just a moment of contemplation or thoughtfulness. And hopefully by the end you will come out with something that might be helpful to you. Either inspiration to just give prayer practice, a daily prayer practice a try, and if that is a part of life for you already, maybe some little nudges or tweaks or modifications or inspirations for things to add, okay? So, you can just show slide one. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> I, I'm kind of a systematic thinker a little bit, and so <laughs> my prayer practice, some introductory notes. This is designed for me to be able to do it in 10 minutes or less at the start of my day. Okay, it can go longer if something takes hold, but I, if, if I have time before I head to work in the morning, I can do it in my home, otherwise I just do it in the car. So really simple, low level. The intention is to produce as many ways for me as possible to perceive Jesus. As many triggers as possible in it for me to comprehend, apprehend, um, come into contact with Jesus, and to then hear Jesus speak to me, to have an encounter with the person, the being of God through Jesus. I have three different components of it, each of which takes just a couple of minutes. For me, I can use all of them, two of them, one of them. I can mix and match. I have a particular order that I go in. So I'm going to take you through them and just describe them along the way. Okay, so you can go to the next slide. The first one is what I call the Jesus litany. <laughs> so this is based a little bit in church tradition. There is a prayer called the Jesus prayer, which is a very simple prayer um, that's essentially, um, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner. Now, the way this was originally sort of brought into Christian practice many, many centuries ago, you would just repeat that again and again and again and again, like as you went through your day. So I've taken that as a launching point, so there is some rootedness of 
of my practice in Christian history and tradition, but then it's kind of morphed. So I'm just going to read this, these three refrains, and then walk through them with you. So, Jesus of Nazareth, anointed one, son of the living God, walking on the water, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus of Nazareth, anointed one, God from God, attuned to the cosmos, have mercy on me. Jesus of Nazareth, anointed one, God, 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 calling me up into the cleft, grant me peace. So you, you can feel that there's a rhythm to it, right? I start with Jesus of Nazareth. <clears throat> it's one of the tensions in interacting with God as God comes to us through Jesus is the humanness and the divineness. Like a person and God. And there's a press, there can be a press to do one to the exclusion of the other, right? That's where we often go in our thinking or what we wrestle with, what people across time have wrestled with. So it's important for me when I start to try to perceive Jesus, to encounter him, that I encounter a living flesh and blood person who existed at a specific moment in time, who inhabited a culture, who inhabited a family, who inhabited a geography, who lived at a specific point in time, so that I am interacting with somebody who is flesh and blood like me, but unique, particular. Then given the particularity of Jesus, there's the anointed one, so Jesus Christ, Christ means anointed. I'm aware, even as I'm interacting with a specific person who lived at a specific time, place, culture, that there was something special about him. In his context, he was called out, he was notable. He had a particular role to play that really nobody else ever did. So that grounds me, Jesus of Nazareth, anointed one. <clears throat> and then I try to perceive his divinity, son of the living God. So Jesus derived from God in a particular way, but then that plays out too, son of the living God, God from God, 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 God. So Jesus derived from God, born from God in a particular way, but Jesus also through and through God. And so as I am sort of sinking in, quieting myself, I am trying to bring before myself, trying to imagine Jesus, the particular person of Jesus, but then also the divinity of Jesus. And then I have these three phrases that have become meaningful to me over time. And these are gonna be very particular to me, and so as I describe them, my hope is that there might be similar things for you that you would bring into prayer practices that you would develop. So walking on the water. There's a moment in the life of Jesus <clears throat> where the complexity of being human and being God just comes into full display. Jesus has a ministry compatriot, John the Baptist, probably the person on the planet 
who at the time Jesus was doing his mission thing, understood him better than anybody else and was all in. So John the Baptist, a relative of Jesus, someone who paved the way for Jesus, who understood much better than anybody else who Jesus was and what Jesus was about. So they're partners in this thing. But then John is arrested, and soon after he's arrested, he's beheaded. He's executed, in large part because of his participation in the ministry of Jesus. And so the first thing Jesus does is he wants to run away and grieve. And I try to imagine it for Jesus, coming from God into this human form, encountering this loss. And in my imagining, I'm thinking, was this new for you, Jesus? Was this, as a human being, a surprising experience? I don't know. But Jesus packs up with his close friends, heads in a boat across a lake to a remote place where he's going to grieve. The problem is that the people who want things from Jesus know where he went. So they follow him. A crowd follows him around the lake. They show up to him as he is getting ready to do his grieving, his internal work. And Jesus looks at them and he loves them and he has compassion on them. So he interacts with them, he meets their needs, he teaches them, he does all sorts of good things to them and for them, and finally, as the day is winding down, (laughs) he just sends everybody away. He sends the crowd away, he tells his disciples, get in the boats, head across the lake, I'll join you later. I'm sure they're wondering, and how are you going to do that? And so finally, Jesus is alone. And he's up on the hill and he's looking down on the water and he's in a place where he can interact with his grief. And when that is done, right, I don't know, he comes to a close. (laughs) He says, okay, I've got to join the others. And he walks on the water. And he does it so well that he goes faster than the boats. And so I just remember it being this moment where There's a fullness of Jesus, his humanity, his loss, his grief, the real emotions, the real connections that come with being a human being, and then this transcendence walking on the water, and the disciples see him, and they're freaked out, and he joins them in the boat. And so when I include this in my prayer practice, this moment of perceiving Jesus, it's just filled with so much of who Jesus is, and so it brings me close to him. In the next one, Attuned to the Cosmos, one of the things that I think a lot of us wrestle with, that I've certainly come to wrestle with, is how does Jesus actually interact with this whole thing that we call creation, right? I come from a a tradition that depicts God as intimately involved in producing everything, every moment. But that is born from a tradition that had a conception of how the whole thing came to be, how the cosmos came to be, that's quite out of date. And so I and many of us are aware of the totality of the cosmos, the size, the age, the scope, the expanse, that is way beyond what goes on here on this little planet. I'm also much less certain about how God interacts with it all. How does God interact with producing it? How does God interact on a moment-to-moment basis and causing what happens to be? And it's also the case that through my experience in prayer practices, I have a deeper perception of 
God as aware, of God as a being who is paying attention. And because of God's nature, it's kind attention, it's knowing attention. And that awareness of God knowing you and knowing me and knowing the cosmos, being perfectly and completely attuned to what's going on is just remarkably life-giving. And so that becomes a part of how I try to interact with Jesus. I have this sense of Jesus being aware of the totality of of it all, and in that being aware of me, and that deepens my connection to him, my appreciation of Jesus. And so then the last one, calling me up into the cleft. So this is a very personal story. Our youngest son uh, is, has been a climber, right? He likes rope climbing, climbing cliffs. And because he's an enthusiast, he's inspirational to all of us. So he brought us all into climbing as a thing, not something I'm particularly gifted at. But about three years ago, because of his enthusiasm and his bringing us into it, we went climbing at Devil's Lake State Park in Wisconsin, okay? We were there on a day, I think it was like May, and it was just beautiful. This stunningly beautiful place, these kind of purpley colored cliffs towering up above, surprising for the Midwest, surrounded by tall pine trees, blue sky, crisp, cool morning air. So, so my son and his friends set up ropes for us to climb, and we do some climbing, and I get on my first climb, and in the middle of the beauty, it's clear that I just can't do it, right? It's, it's like, it's not a hard climb, and I've climbed some in other settings, but I'm, you know, it's about a 40-foot climb, so not that high, and I'm six or eight feet up, and I just know I'm essentially done. Like, I just, I can't make it. But my son is holding the rope for me, and he's very kind with the rope. Because what he does is whenever I make a little incremental advance, he just tightens the rope. <laughs> you know? And sometimes he tightens a little extra to help. And so I have this awareness as I'm making my little incremental advances that I'm, I'm going to make it. But it's just because he's holding me with this rope. And I'm looking up, and I notice just a little to the left, there's a place where the, the, the edge comes down, a cleft in the rock. You know, it comes down maybe a little 10 feet lower. So I say, oh, that's where I'm going. It's, it's hard. It's hard work. But every time I make an advance, oh, the rope tightens behind me. And so, I don't know, after 20 minutes or something, I spill over the edge into this cleft, and I just start crying because... It's, a, it's just this moment of accomplishment. But with the totality of accomplishment with my family and friends, with somebody holding me in a rope, and it becomes instantly this metaphor for me for interacting with Jesus. Because, because of my, the imaginative prayer practices that have come to me, I have a sense of Jesus being there waiting. And it's this place that he inhabits. And it's effortful to get there, but I spill over the edge, and there's Jesus, and it's from this place that he looks out into the world, and he sees what's going on, and he invites me to see what's going on, what he's paying attention to. And so this becomes for me a part of my prayer practice, this personal moment of perceiving Jesus. So 
all these things spill out by the end of about 90 seconds. I have brought just all these things from scripture, from tradition, <clears throat> from my own you know, reading of the Bible, thoughts about God, personal experience into this little collection of words that just bring a ton of things to bear to the possibility of perceiving Jesus, right? And so then I conclude this section, each one, the, the phrase from the traditional prayer, have mercy on me, a sinner, have mercy on me, grant me peace. It's like, like church tradition, at least the ones that I inhabit, really lean into our badness, like all the trouble is because I'm bad, I'm a sinner, sinner, sinner. It's like, yeah, that's part of the story. Like, I'll grant you that. A part of the troubles I come into are because of what I do to cause myself and others harm. But it's also true, just have mercy on me, life is hard. Systems conspire against us. Sickness and disease exist. And at the end of the day, Jesus, just <laughs> whatever is going on, grant me peace. Right? Just bring me peace. So this is the first part of my prayer practice. Again, it's really quick, easy, all these things. But each phrase has come to have meaning for me over time that tends to bring Jesus into my awareness really pretty quickly. Um, I'd say I probably have a greater than 50% success rate at <laughs> this leading me to a perception or an experience of God that I find helpful and life-giving. So I want to take just a minute and invite you into a moment of reflection. Specifically, I'm thinking of these things that I use, walking on the water, attuned to the cosmos, calling me up into the cleft, just to invite God to stir something, the possibility of something in you that could be a meaningful component for you of remembering, connecting with, perceiving Jesus, okay? So here's a moment, Jesus. You've been helpful to me in this way. I pray that you'd be helpful to others here. Just bring to mind a thought, an experience, a perception from the stories about you that we can use to tether our pursuit of you, our pursuit of knowing you, of praying towards you. Just take this moment, Jesus. Amen. So now on to module number two. You can show the next slide. There are a couple of scriptures that guide this part of it. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxieties. See if there is any tortuous, crooked way in me and lead me into the ancient way. That's from a psalm, then from Jesus. Come to me, all you who are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And then from Peter, cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. So 
So I have just many experiences from my youth and from growing up that have stayed with me in ways that are not happy. Uh, for example, I had a really good friend who lived across the street from me when I was growing up. He and I were the same age. My brother was two years younger. Um, I was of a temperament where I really wanted to be um, appreciated or valued by people who I looked up to, which meant that I kind of did whatever this neighbor friend said I should do, a part of which was be mean to my brother. So, yeah, that's sad. And you can tell, like, I can tell, even as I say it to you, that it stays with me. It is a part of my inner world. This way of relating to others who I, you know, whose approval I wanted. And then in that setting, actually perpetrating harm against those who I loved. And so this thing in me was carried forward into other aspects of life. It wasn't just this one-time event when I was six years old. It was a part of the structure, the fabric of my internal world. Now, of course, I didn't pay attention to that until later in life because I wasn't supposed to because of the culture that I grew up in. And because when I looked there, I didn't like what I saw. Um, but a part of my coming into awareness, both as a person of faith uh, and just in trying to address these things that would produce difficulties for me in life was paying attention to my inner world. Some of that has come through counseling and therapy, uh, which has become a part of my practice of life, some through prayer practices. But how that comes into my daily encounter with God is I have come to realize that I have a way of conceiving of what's in me. You know, the writers here, the psalmist and Jesus and Peter, they clearly are interested in your inner world and mine. There's the big world out there, right? The cosmos, stretching back 14 billion years. That's of interest. There's also what's in you and what's in me. This really complicated internal place that's populated with all sorts of fraughtnesses and burdens and anxieties. And so I have come into a way of conceiving of my internal world as populated with these things that have happened in the past. And sometimes they're represented by versions of me from my younger days or other people or thought or structures but what I have come to do is, is when I'm shifting, as I look ahead to my day, I invite Jesus into this fraught inner world of mine, right? And it's kind of a dicey invitation. It's like, Jesus, you know what's going on in here. And for a while, it would kind of make me nervous because my conception of God was of God as a scrutinizer, God as someone who is kind of dour, and disapproving, and who needed things to be just so. And if God encountered something God didn't like, God was going to let me know and be upset, you know. So inviting Jesus into this inner world of mine that isn't so put together as it ought to be, and that's populated with insecurity and anger and maliciousness. It's like, <laughs> Jesus, do you know what you're getting into? But it's become something that is so helpful and meaningful to me as I try to enter into a world that itself is fraught, 
where there are going to be things expected of me, where I'm going to have certain kinds of interactions and encounters with others that I know are going to activate um, these still very alive parts of me from my past. My sense of Jesus, this attunement of Jesus, this paying attention of Jesus in a kind and compassionate and completely knowing way. It's like when Jesus comes into me, Jesus knows me. There's nothing here that's actually surprising to Jesus. And the knowingness of Jesus towards my whole self is just amazingly relieving and lovely. And it's not even that Jesus comes in and fixes everything. A part of what I try to do is what Jesus invites, you know, let me carry your burdens and you carry mine. So I try to do that in a very transactional way every morning. Holy cow, Jesus, I'm really burdened. I've got this going on in family and this going on at work and this going on with me and, you know, it's going to be a fraught day (laughs) and I have all these proclivities. So Jesus, as much as possible, I'm going to give you the burdens that I carry and take from you, whatever this light one is that you have for me. But just that experience of being completely known within myself is so life-giving and freeing, helpful. So it's a really simple invitation. Let's just do it again. Take a moment. So, Jesus, here we are is populated with more complexity and fraughtness than we'd like to admit. Would you come in and see us? We just bring our whole selves before you, Jesus, all of who we are. So the last component, and I won't spend as much time on this because this is something we've talked about frequently. I just have a really fun story that I want to share. Um, A part of how we have come to encounter God is through an imaginative prayer practice. It has a name called Emmanuel Prayer. It's oriented around gratitude and using gratitude to help you perceive God and help you realize that God is much closer to you, more present to you at every moment than you're typically aware of. And the way it works is by bringing in a prayer, bringing to your mind in a prayerful way a good experience that you've had where you remember being particularly alive, activated, happy, joyful, whatever it might be, kind of paying attention to that, describing it, fleshing it out, And then just doing a little bit of extra work to see, was God present to me in that moment in a way that I wasn't aware of? And we come into it with a belief that God is present, that God is a source of goodness, and so believing that God actually was. And it can be just, again, a really helpful way of knowing that God was close to you in a moment, which then makes you immediately aware, oh, I bet he's present to me now, too. So I'm going to just share with you one of the ways that this works for me. When I'm doing this prayer practice in the morning, I will often just use a moment that has become familiar to me. 
so that I don't have to think deeply and come up with another one, and I use that as a way to perceive Jesus present. This one, my wife and I, um, we were on vacation recently. We were uh, swimming in the ocean. I was swimming. She was walking on the beach. So I was just swimming by the shore. I had a simple mask and a snorkel. So I was in the water, and we saw something I'd never seen before, which was squid. Now, squid, I am sure, like, are from a different planet. Because they're so, their shape is just weird. There's no body shape that's like a squid shape, and they have a fin that goes, like, along the length of their, they're shaped like an almond. And then they have this fin that goes along, and they have tentacles, and they change color just really rapidly. But what caught my attention when I was looking at the squid, there were about eight of them, and they were strung out in a horizontal line. And they were doing this kind of extemporaneous synchronized swimming thing where they would all, they just would so strangely move with each other, up, down, forward, back, oriented. And there came a moment where they were flipped upside down and together, kid you not, their tentacles opened up. And so I'm watching and thinking, like, <laughs> who are they communicating to? <laughs> what signal are they receiving or transmitting? And so, <laughs> I'm just telling you, I was praying later, and I have, I have become familiar with this form of prayer, so it's easy for me to have a perception of where God might have been, how Jesus might have been participating. I know it's in part my imagination working with something I'm remembering I also believe Jesus to be present. And so I had this perception in the moment of prayer. Of, I'm looking at the squid and they're doing this thing and there's Jesus behind me. And they're, they're attuned to Jesus, paying attention to Jesus, doing their form of acknowledging or worshiping Jesus. And it's just so easy for me to see, perceive Jesus present with me in that moment. And so this kind of thing, too, becomes a part of my morning prayer practice. And the whole thing together produces for me just a lot of opportunities, a lot of specific ways that have accumulated over time that work for me to have a perception of Jesus. To make me... <laughs> to to make me someone who carries an awareness of Jesus into my day, to prepare me to be someone who can contribute, not who can just kind of make it through. But where the ways that I would anticipate trouble coming my way as a person, where I'm going to be activated, I'm going to be defensive, I'm going to be mad, I'm going to be self-absorbed, that can diminish. And the goodness of Jesus coming to me is what I can then bring to the people I encounter to the people I want to try to help. And I'll say that this has been particularly meaningful during COVID. Because right? COVID just, every day, right, is a struggle in some way just because of that. It's harder to be hopeful. It's harder to think of yourself as contributing in a positive way to the people who you care about. Harder to accomplish a mission, to do something that contributes. You know, without COVID, even before COVID, I still needed a lot of help 
and being a good person and being a helpful person and making my way in the world. But through COVID, things are harder. And so my hope for you this morning, for all of us, this is a part of the fabric of my life now. A simple prayer practice where encountering, connecting with, contacting God through Jesus in these ways really makes a difference. It's based on belief, right? This has become a pillar for me. Right alongside how I still interact with and revere the text and the stories. But it supports real belief. I really believe Jesus exists, that Jesus represents God to us, that Jesus is encounterable, that Jesus brings goodness to us. And so all these things are helpful in how I start my day. Okay. And so my hope is that this might inspire you a little bit. Maybe just to do it, just to try. If you're struggling with some of the things, same things I've been struggling with, if this is a part of a, you know, if prayer practice is a part of life for you, maybe there's something in here that would add a component, be a helpful piece of it. 